Hey everybody and welcome to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs coming at you from the great city of Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Sean Riley. And I'm Common Thrath. And today, like always, we're having a no bullshit conversation about the entrepreneurial way of life. All right, Com, we're back for another episode. As always, my friend, it's good to see you. Um, here again with the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. How's everything going? You too. Well, we just started school with the kids, so it's kind of trying to balance everything. And I think, uh, you know, recording might hear my kids around with virtual learning. Uh, but it's good to see you. I wish I can see you in person for sure. No, we're doing well though. How are you? Zoom's enough. Zoom's enough. We're fine. We're just fine the way it is. All right. Everything's two dimensional now. Hey, listen, what do you think about the arts? Are you a live kind of music, you know, Broadway show kind of person? You enjoy that? My wife got me into it. Um, I wasn't into, well, actually it was in, I was in chorus and chorale. That's like my claim to fame. And it's a thing I, I do in, internally and sing with the kids. Uh, but from a high school standpoint, so I do enjoy the arts. Um, but my wife really got me into like Broadway and shows and um, yeah. What about yourself? I'm kind of a consumer. I, I really enjoy it. I will, I love live music, but I will go to see anything from stomp, to a one man comedian show to, um, which is interesting because I'm a late bloomer for Broadway. My first, I'm 51. My first Broadway um, show I ever went to was two and a half years ago. So in Broadway speak, I'm a kind of a late bloomer, but I like the Rockettes. Anything on the stage where it's live, I'm in, which I'm excited. I'm excited because we have a great guest here, uh, Troy Siebels. Um, which again, I'm excited to have on, is the president and chief executive officer of the Hanover Theater in Worcester. Um, he's led the theater since the very beginning, which we're going to talk about. Um, and he chairs the board of the Discover Central Massachusetts and serves on the board of the Massachusetts Cultural Council. So Troy, welcome to the Vulnerable Entrepreneurs Podcast. We're really excited to, to have you here. As am I. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome, welcome, Troy. Yeah. And I just got to say, a few years ago, I saw Motown at the Hanover, and it was, I mean, it's interesting. For a venue that has seats, I think we stood up the entire time. It was (laughs) unbelievable. It was one of my favorites. I loved it. That was an amazing production. It really was. You know, and it's music. You know every song, right? Yeah, you know, not to sound nerdy. Dirty, but it was, I love that, uh, that genre of music, but I learned a lot too. I mean, it was, it, for me, it was educational with a small E, you know, I learned a lot about how it be, how Motown began, where it came from, you know, the genesis of it, all threaded by just amazing performance singing and the, the music itself was unbelievable. Like I said, we stood up for most of it. It was unbelievable. Good. Good. Yeah, that was one. Uh, that was a real strong show. You know, if um, theater we talk good about, at, uh, a, a, yeah, I was just going to say it's good at, at uh, education with a small yeah. e without you knowing well, about it. It's good at educating you without uh, without you realizing it. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. How do, how do you you know at the it, the vulnerable entrepreneurs? We talk a lot um, to entrepreneurs about entrepreneurs about being entrepreneurs and and it brings in again with a small e this idea of not really knowing about it but creativity not as something we seek out to be creative but it's something that we almost have to have 
when you look at all of the, I mean, I got to say you have, must have one of the best jobs on the good days because you get to see these incredible performances, but they're so diverse. How do you kind of, you know, talk about that creativity and just seeing where that, that comes from? Talk a little bit about that. You know, the really good artists and the really good shows just make it look so easy. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it, it is, it is an art form for sure. Theater is an art form. Com- comedy is an art form. Dance is an art form. But the, the really good artists, when you see them on the stage, just make it look effortless. Um, I, I think I love to do what I do because I get to see the behind the scenes sometimes and get to see that it's not always quite so effortless and there are failures every place there's a success, but, um, but it, it, there's nothing like live entertainment. There's nothing like being in the same room, uh, audience and performer. There's a connection there that it's just impossible to to match or describe. Uh, you know, people ask us, we are, we're in a pandemic now and uh, you can reach your audiences virtually, right? Well, yeah and no. I mean, I think every theater like mine that says that they're they're still able to continue on virtually is doing their best to stay connected to their audience but it's not um but it's not the same thing it just isn't we just have to get to the other side of this i agree i i think you know i look at a theater like yours is really being an incubator for all this creativity. You're the keeper of, you know, the, the art as it were, where this is not just, it's not TV and it's not movie. It's three dimensional where there's a connection between me as the audience and the performer. There's no, Oh yeah, we didn't like that. Let's redo it. There's no, uh, we didn't like the lighting. So let's bring in more lights. It's, it's live. It's happening on both sides, I can't control what the performer is doing and the performer can't control what I'm doing. It's real time, three dimensional, instantaneous. And I like your perspective of how you get to see kind of the underneath the water. Common, and I talk a lot about the iceberg, right? Being an entrepreneur, there's a lot more underneath the water hmm. than a lot above it. And I always bring up the analogy that the Titanic was sunk by part of the iceberg was underneath the water. You couldn't see it as opposed to what was above the water. And you get to see that underneath, right? You get to see the, the production and the, the pains and the, frankly, the mistakes, but that all rolls up into the creative. You get to see the creative as it comes to your theater and you get to be part of that. I, like I said, incubation of it, right? The growing oh, yeah. of it, the, the, the keeper of it. How have oh, yeah. you seen, or have you seen that changed from when you started at the Hanover up till now, is it still the same? Do you get the same feeling? Is it, um, like I say, thinner, meaning a little bit less um, intimate? Is it more so? Is the, is the art still as strong as it, as it frankly, I would argue, should not, be? Not counting this year. Not counting this year. No. Yeah, yeah, this year aside, right. Yeah, this yeah. is always the exception, well, right? I, yeah, it is. I, it's, it is as strong. I, I, I think, you know, I, um, I like to, to sort of get into the nitty gritty on the Broadway shows, especially, and, and then sneak in and watch them doing their dress rehearsals and tech rehearsals and stuff. It, it, that's where, I, that's what I love to be a part of because that's where you can kind of, that's where you see the artistry at work. I, you know, I said earlier that some of the 
other stuff just seems so easy. The comedians, the the dancers come out on stage and they make it look easy. We don't, they did all their creating somewhere else. The Broadway shows come in and they did all their rehearsing somewhere else too, but you still get to see under the hood a little bit while they're, while they're, uh, right. while they're doing their tech rehearsal, while they're getting ready to go on. And under the hood is what's exciting to me. Have you seen a diff- difference in the, in the, I'm going to say type, it's probably not the right word, in the type of performances that audiences are attracted to? And then the, I, I kind of, the, the B question to that is, what's the demographic now? Is the age group the same as it was when you started? Or is it a little bit younger, a little bit older? Um, it's gotten a little younger which is great. Um, you know, I've, uh, the theater and musical theater especially is notoriously older, non-diverse audience, right? Um, and, and that's true for us as it is for others as well, but it's a little bit less true for us. You know, we've, I've got colleagues at other theaters that, that come through the door and look around our lobby and say, wow, I wish my audience looked like this. Um, we have a younger audience, especially than, than a lot of others do. And I'm not sure what to attribute that to, uh, you know, we've certainly tried to, to reach all components, all, all, every piece of Worcester and the surrounding community, but I don't know that we're doing anything other, others haven't done. This is an example of vulnerable. I would claim to know, I have done that on purpose, but I, we haven't done it on purpose, but I'm really proud of the fact that we have a, a at least a younger audience than a lot do. So do you think from an audience standpoint, or, you know, cause you have different performances, right? And if you appreciate the art, you appreciate it all, but you get folks who, who maybe just gravitate towards the mainstream yeah. Headliners. Yeah. There's what the title driven people. What there's do you the title feel? People. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. What, what, what do you think? What's the gap there? Like, what is it when you, you think even the ones that aren't mainstream, they're just as good. So what, what's, what's the cause you feel of that? Or what, how can that be better? Sometimes the ones that aren't mainstream are better. Um, it, it's really interesting. There are audiences that are driven by title. You know, there's people that will come see Jerry Seinfeld and they'll drive from four hours away because they want to see Jerry Seinfeld. Um, if there's a, you know, they will come see Les Miserables because everybody they know has seen Les Miserables and says it's great. Um, and it is really hard to get those same people to buy a ticket to uh, Bright Star or something rotten or one, another Broadway show. And yet what we find with our audiences is often it's the ones that are less known that get a better response, a better reaction, you know, and they say, wow, I had no idea. And then they go and tell their friends, but it's, um, we have subscribers, you know, that buy a ticket to every show and that number's climbing. And I think because people are starting to trust us to bring in things that they may not have heard of, but are still pretty great and pretty amazing. Um, yeah, you asked a minute ago, what, what audiences are responding to and is it any different? I think the audiences still have a a big appetite for the, um, the highest profile stuff. The Jerry Seinfelds of the world are still big sellers, but it's starting to get to where, um, we can, we can do all right with things that aren't quite so high profile. And to me, that's a, that's good. That's an indication that people are starting to, to explore and be willing to, um, to take a chance. And from, from a location standpoint, right. I think we're both are working very hard to grow and, and, and put Worcester on the map. 
know, what are some challenges that you're facing of from, from the years to, to where Hanover is now, but Hanover is not done. There's, there's more that Hanover can give. So what are, tell us some stories or some vulnerabilities or some, you know, some, some battle wounds that you've been through. Oh my God. It moves so slowly. So many things move so slowly. You know, the city, um, we, uh, talked for years about being a catalyst for this downtown revitalization. And now we don't say it anymore because it's, it's taken, things take so long that our recent memory is of the ballpark, you know, the ballparks really helped kick things off. Well, things take so long to get rolling. You know, there's a, conversation about this work that's going to happen on main street that's been going on for eight years now and just now there's jersey barriers in the street and you see the work starting to happen and so we're uh that's a frustration for me you know the city's made a commitment to do this build this beautiful new plaza out in front of the theater and that idea is four years old and and just now they've finally started work and now they've stopped work because of pandemic but i'm you know it's supposed to restart so I, that kind of thing um is just painful to me that you can't maintain any kind of momentum with the audience uh, because you say, Hey, great news. This is coming. And then a year later you say, Hey, great news. This is still coming. And then a couple of years after that, they see some change. Um, it's, that's been hard. We're just on a different timetable uh, than the, than the city is. And I don't blame them. It's just a different world, I think. Um, and uh and, you know, there are still pockets of negativity. There's, nobody hates Worcester like Worcester natives do, I swear. Or else, or else they love it, but they, they love to talk ill of it, you know? Uh, I, I don't, uh, I sometimes just do not understand where some of the negativity comes from. Uh, That's interesting. It's still there. Yeah. I think about, you know, your role, it's so multidimensional because you have the business of the theater itself, right? Revenues and all of the pains and, and successes of the, the business piece. But then you have the environment, which is the city that you have to deal with. And then, oh, by the way, you have to deal with, you know, I would assume understanding what's relevant in the theater, um, in the whole industry. How can you go get, book those particular performers and what's next and what's coming up and what's relevant. And I guess to some degree, what's hot or even worse, what's, what's cooling a little bit. So all of these, you know, downward pressures that we talk a lot about um, with, with the entrepreneurs and, and really CXOs of companies, you have the same thing, only it's a little bit more multidimensional because there's coming from different places. How do you prioritize and, and, kind of deal with that is it shiny object is it okay well the city said this now i got to go deal with this or is it is there there's got to be a plan i'm sure but how do you kind of you know stay to the plan but also deal with the you know the 11th thing on your to-do list that's just not going to get looked at today i i don't i don't know but if i ever figure it out i'll be happy to answer that question (laughs) i you know (laughs) I, I, uh, every night before I leave, I write the priority list for tomorrow. And it's always, these are the three things I absolutely have to do tomorrow. And then there's have to do. things that I'm, I'm hopeful <laughs> to get right. to. And at the end of the day, I've only done one of the three things that I had to get done tomorrow. So yeah, it's, um, I've, I've learned that, uh, things, um, there's, you know, if things don't get done, uh, there's, I, uh, let's see. 
you know, there's your priorities. There's the things you absolutely have to get done. And then there's the things that if they don't get done, the world's going to end, uh, you know, and there aren't nearly as many of right. those things. So you just have to try right. to really hard to keep your eye on, on, on the big picture and what's important. And, and talk a little bit about what is that big picture? If you, if you had a, the, the crystal ball, but really the dream state, what does that look like aside from looking out your, your front door and having that completed <laughs> that aside, what are the big, what's the, what's the dream state for, for the theater and, and frankly, your business? Well, there's a couple different components of that. One is, um, the ability to get the kinds of shows on our stage that we want to. And it's a lot better now than it was 13 years ago when we first opened, you know, that first year we had stomp you mentioned earlier, and we had uh, Jesus Christ superstar and hairspray. Uh, um, both of all, all of those um, tours that had been out on the road for multiple times. And uh, you know, they're, they're not new and, and cutting edge. Then fast forward 10 years, you came to see Motown. Now that's a new Broadway show it was out there. Uh, it's a, it's a big, you know, 10 semi-trailer performance full of show that only plays for a full week at a time because it's too big to get into smaller venues for less performances. I, you know, that, that represents a big step forward for us. Um, and we were able to get there because we built an audience to sub, sub to, to be able to support that bigger performance. So there is a continuation of that trend. You know, we still don't have wicked for five weeks. We see, you know, it's uh, the lion King for three weeks. Um, we are still on that growth curve and there is still another step that we can go to be able to build the audience to support those. Um, we are in the shadow of Boston. And so we, that's a battle that we fight a lot. We, we believe very strongly that we are not competitive with Boston, that, that, and, and the numbers are our audience shows this then the people that come see theater here either still go see theater in Boston or never went to see theater in Boston before and didn't know they liked theater until they discovered it in their own backyard. Um, uh, so nonetheless, some of the same people that we do what we do in Boston do see us as competitive. And so we, we fight that battle a lot. When, when uh, Book of Mormon runs for a month in Boston, it does not come to Worcester the next year because Boston wants to bring it back the year after that. And I, I tell you, there's sometimes that I, I leave my call run, car running just to accelerate global warming. So Boston will be underwater in another year or two. But uh, no, obviously it's a joke, but I, I, it, that is, that is one component of it. You talk about the future and the, and the dream. One component of it is being able to overcome that and build enough momentum that the shows have to come here to Worcester because you can't miss it. You're leaving money and an audience on the table if you don't come to Worcester. Um, and another component of it is, is doing our own work. You know, uh, what drove me to be in theater in the first place was, um, was not sitting in an office and, and drawing shows from New York to here, but it was actually been in a rehearsal room and creating. Uh, I do our annual production of A Christmas Carol, which I love to do. Yeah, it's the same show every year, but I still love it. I still love the challenge. Um, and, and we are starting to get to where we can do that. You know, we're opening a 300 seat theater this month, the next block over. Um, and because we can't do public events right now, we're doing private events. We're doing a one woman performance of a Edgar Allan Poe monologues um, to private groups of 20 people or less. Um, and so, but that's, but it's a new 
performance. It's a piece of theater and it's pretty great and it's pretty cool. Uh, and so we've gone from 2000 people to 20, but it, it's something, it's a step forward. And, and, and so there's a end of that growth curve as well to be able to do our own work at that, be it the smaller theater or the bigger theater. So that's another piece of the dream. Um, those are two things that I'd love to get to. You know, it's interesting. You talked a little bit about Boston. I was going to ask you, they've always been geographically the same distance apart from each other, but whether it's, it's the, you know, um, new mass pike or just more people coming into the state to live, they've gotten closer together. People are more willing to live in Boston and work in Worcester and work in Worcester and, and um, live in Boston and vice versa. And I would almost, I was going to ask you, has that shrinkage of that commute helped you a little bit? In other words, you know, I saw Motown in Worcester because that's where it was playing. And I was excited about seeing it. I didn't have any preference about um, seeing Phantom of the Opera in Boston because that's where it was. But never did I say, oh, yeah, but I really want to see Motown. But can we wait till it's in Boston? Because, you know, Worcester's Worcester. Like never did that cross my mind. And you go to the Hanover and it's this beautiful theater. And I'm one of the ones that love those little divey, you know, very small. I mean, those I think are gems. But, you know, you walk into the Hanover and suddenly you don't really care where you are. It, it could be Boston, it could be New York, it could be San Francisco, say. Does that help you, that, that shrinkage of, of the geography as you were a little bit? Or, or to your point about competitiveness, does it hurt? I think some of both. I mean, it does, it, it helps a little bit. And I think people are willing to drive far. People are more mobile than they used to be. People are willing to go a little farther right. to get to what they want to, to get to. And I think that there's a piece of the audience that is, that says, that's the show I want to see. And I'm going to go see it wherever it is. And then there's a piece of our audience that, that feels that we're their space. They're, uh, that we belong to them and we are their little hometown space and they have ownership of us. And that's really wonderful because those are the people that will come see anything. But, um, but I, I think it's helped us in that it, it, people do come from further away than I think they might have. Um, but, but uh, it is also true that I think it helps us be in the, in the eyes of the Boston venues that feel competitive to us. And we are, we are, uh, I'll go to them hat in hand any day of the week and say, come on guys, let's partner on this. I'm happy to have you, you know, share net revenue with you. I'm happy to, uh, to, uh, announce after you guys are have been on sale for a month. You know, we've come up with a lot of strategies to, to, try to overcome that. Um, and we haven't got a silver bullet yet, but uh, it's a long answer to your question. Long answer to not really answer your question is what it was. Hey, you can take it as a compliment. If Boston's upset that you're competing with them, that's not a bad problem to have, right? That's, that, that might yeah. be a little bit of a pat on the back. You could look at it that way yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. With the challenge with the pandemic and just, I'm sure like you're probably devastated. Like, what are we going to do now? Right, Troy? Um, and, and it's even now you're, you're still probably, th you're thinking about it and maybe you're worrying about it, but what would walk us through, like, what was your reaction mental state and what did you do next? Did you need time to just punch a wall? Did you just like turn it and became Bill Belichick? Like, so kind of walk us through like what, what happened? I would love to say that when this happened in March, uh, we had a full plan and knew what we were going to do and, and had a, had a strategy. Uh, 
you know, we, we did a performance on March 12th and canceled our performance on March 13 and everything thereafter. And we rescheduled all those March performances for June because it can't possibly go on longer than that. Right. Um, and then we moved the June performances to September and now we've moved the September performances to January. And, uh, we didn't have any kind of strategy at the beginning other than try to treat it like a shorter term gap that it's going to end up being, you know, you go to the same, the audience that bought ticket to see the show and you say, Hey, your ticket's still good for this new date. You know, if you can't make it happy to give you a refund, but thanks for sticking with us. Um, and if this were a three or even a six month gap, I think that works. I think it's a longer gap than that now. And you can't, and well, from an audience perspective, I think we have to stay on their radar. Somehow we have to do something. The good thing about doing the 20 person shows in the next block is not that 20 people can come see it. It's that we can talk to a hundred thousand people about the fact that we're doing it and we're still out there doing something. From a financial point, um, you know, we got a PPP loan from the government and, and uh, some other things, and we kept our staff on board through July. But at this point, most of them are on furlough. Um, we are in hibernation. You know, there's just, we if we don't do everything we can do now to conserve the dollars that we have and conserve the goodwill in the community to help support us, then we're not going to be able to reopen we're going to, we're going to survive this, but it's going to be because we've, we've been uber conservative about what we're spending money on right now. Um, uh, you know, you ask about, um, I, I guess my feeling about it has changed a lot over the last few months. And at first I, I wanted to keep us being the organization we were um, and find a way to overcome the gap. And recently, um, uh, you know, I've just come to realize and, and think that we're not a, we're not a theater today. We're a conservatory today. We have 500 students that are in classes that are, that are combination in person and, and remote. And that was a small piece of what the theater did. Now it is the piece of what we do. That's, that's what we are. And now we're a small 20 seat theater on the next block that's doing experimental performances. And so that's what we are right now. How do we embrace that and be that the best we can be? Um, and we have aspirations to get back to being a 2300 seat theater and we will, but I don't, but I think we have to embrace what we are today um, and do that. And I think when we come out of the other side of this, we'll that's one tiny little silver lining. That's one thing that'll be better about us is we're going to be a better conservatory and we're going to be a better experimental theater than we were. Those are going to be a bigger piece and more important than they were before we went into this. George, like, did you or your team, there must have been different views, but it, was there a point where you had to just accept it? You know, like, I think a lot of businesses are going through this where they like, I've talked to businesses, you know, at, and say, you're going to be e-commerce company. And like, no, I'm like, no, you are going to be e-commerce. If you want to sustain, we're going to figure out how to make you e-commerce. So like, you know, you're, you're making those types of choices and what works. And, and, and so was it a period of like just self-awareness and just acceptance, or there was just not for a while? <laughs> there still isn't. We're still, still in denial. Um, I, I, yeah, pieces of it. You know, at the very beginning, I didn't want to do anything that looked like live streaming because uh, that's not what we do. That's not what, that's not our art form. 
there's already television and movies out there and that's a art form by itself, but it's not us. Um, well, I've changed my mind a little bit on that, <laughs> you know, now that this is we're six months later. Um, and we, I still, I still believe very strongly that what we are is live entertainment and we need to get back to that. But at this point, whatever we can do to stay connected to that audience. So, so yeah, there's some acceptance about we're, um, we're a different organization now and we have to be that. And if we can do live streaming to, to keep the arts in front of people, then we're going to do it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, there's still, there's still so many unknowns about the, um, about how long this is going to go on and what it means. And, uh, you know, right now we've got performance scheduled in January. I don't know any more than anybody does whether we can come back in January. You know, some optimists will tell you, oh, yeah, there's going to be a vaccine in October. You can by December, you guys should be up and running. And then there's pessimists that will tell you it's going to be 2023 before you can do shows again. So um, what I know is we we have to be prepared for anything but we're not going to cancel further out than we have to, right? I'm going to hang on to that January performance until we absolutely can't hang on to it anymore. And then we're going to postpone it and reschedule it. And we'll be upfront with our audience and say, this is what we know. Um, and this is what we don't. How has the audience um, or the constituency support been? I mean, not to overly silver lining it, but kind of the good news is everybody has to go through it. So it's not that it, this is Hanover theater specific, like dare I say a fire or something like that, where you're kind of rebuilding and the audience can go somewhere else. They, I dare I say, if you say January, okay, okay, we'll wait till January. Well, we'll look at that. Now it's March. Okay. Well, you don't have very many options, but aside from that, how has the, your constituency been supportive? I would imagine Worcester is small enough that, that they're very vocal, but also very supportive. Oh yeah. Yeah. As much as I complain about that Worcester attitude, sometimes the city has really (laughs) embraced the theater. Um, We went out to um, our audiences, the subscribers, the Broadway shows and said, uh, we well this this whole thing started in March. We had just started our renewal campaign for next year's subscription. So for the Broadway shows that we're going to start in in September this month and run through next June, we started selling those tickets last February March. So um, when the shutdown started, we went to that audience and said, "Hey, um, please." Uh, renew now we had a lot of we had a lot of questions about what shows were going to be able to come in so we went out to the audience and said we don't even know what the seven shows are going to be next year we don't know what dates are going to be but we want you to renew your subscription now because that's a way to support the theater and get us through this and we've got 3400 people that did that huge um so there's been a huge audience um support of the theater and um the philanthropic community too we've raised 1.4 million dollars which is going to get us through this year um the you know dollars in what we call the covid resiliency fund which is uh designed to pay the expenses that we that 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 we can't not pay we have to pay for the insurance we have to pay the electric bill and and as low as it is and we have to pay enough staff to run the conservatory um uh, but uh, we've raised the dollars to do that so we don't have a doubt that we're gonna survive this we're just trying to find a way to be the best organization we can on the other side of it you know being an eternal optimist 
I have to think that if you're able to get through this period, the demand for exactly what you provide to the community has got to come back tenfold. I mean, and last for quite a while because, you know, myself who loves live anything, you're there's nothing, everything's a scream. Everything is two dimensional. You know, it's probably a rerun. It's just at some point you get to the end and said, well, I'd love to see a show or a comedian or a band or something somewhere where honest to God, there's other people that you can bump into that, you, you know, that you, you don't realize how much you miss it until you miss it. So I've got to believe that on the other side of this for your industry as, as well as many others, it's just going to be a, an amazing almost a rebirth, like you had kind of mentioned, you have this other kind of, you know, revenue stream, if you want to speak business or this other place or silo or vertical, whatever you want to call it, where you're able to tap into where maybe your focus wasn't before, but now it is because frankly, you have to be. So that almost gives you a a little bit of an advantage to have that now as something you focused on so that God forbid something like this happens again, or, or there is a downturn, you're much more equipped to deal with it, adapt to it and succeed through it. You know, the last time Broadway shut down was in 1919. Um, and you know, that was the, the year of the, uh, the flu of 1918, 19. Um, right. And, uh, and it didn't shut down as long as it has this time around, but we came out of that countrywide into the roaring 20s. You know, people wanted to be out. They wanted to be flappered. You know, they wanted to be out and doing things. I hope that you're right. <laughs> I hope that, I mean, they didn't have screens then, right? They couldn't They couldn't Zoom and, and get their entertainment that right. way. I, I hope that people aren't, um, have, have not discovered that they can get anything they want on their screen and they don't have to leave their living room. But I, I, I think you're right. I think that people are, people, we're, we're a social people, right? We want to come together. And there's a lot of studies around businesses that put the time and energy and, and efforts in the marketing and planning who, who, who really either stabilize or, or, you know, double down Troy versus coming back, um, really come out of it. So I think you're all the things that you're doing, you're doing all the right things. And, um, yeah, and I really do feel, I know myself and my wife, once things are a lot, we're going to be booking a lot more. My daughter, she's been asking about it. I think she, she went to her first show like two years ago and she asks about it all the time. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how the kids perception of all this, um, but one thing we like to always have our audience get us a, a sense is like you, you as Troy, because we a lot of people know you as, you know, the uh, associate to, to Hanover Theater. But is there anything in your childhood or anything in just business in general who that, that molded you to who you are, like what drives you or what what's the fire or what's, you know, what's the fear? So like. Now, a lot of times we feel like, you know, talking to our past guests, there, there are things that happen in their younger years or in their family or of, of that, that that's made them who they are today. Hmm. I had a pretty messed up family life. I, I you know, uh, and, um, I didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot. My, uh, my dad came from a rural farm in, in, in Missouri. My, my, uh, yeah. I came from a very different place. Um, and my folks weren't, weren't together past my fifth birthday. And, and, and you know, I, I think what all that did for me back then is made me really independent. 
Um, I, I wanted, I had a job the day I turned 16 and could work, right. I had, I wanted to, I had a car the first day I could, I could get a car and then get a driver's license. And I wanted to be out and, um, doing, uh, and making my own way. And so I think I'm a much better entrepreneur than I would ever be an employee because I, I have trouble not wanting to make my own way. Not one. And it's not that I want, it's gotta be my way or the highway, but there's some freedom in, uh, in being able to chart your own course and being able to chart your own organization's course. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I could point to a specific episode uh, when I was in, um, high school, I, I always thought I was going to be a computer programmer. That's what I learned how to do. That's what I loved to do. I was a very math oriented guy. And then in high school, I, I didn't have any friends. I was horrible at sports. And so I, I wound up in the theater running a spotlight for a performance because that's what my best friend was doing. And then, uh, you know, one thing leads to the next. And four years later, by the time I graduated high school, I realized that somewhere along the line, I'd made the decision that this is what I was going to do. And I, I don't know when that decision was, but I, at that point, um, I, it was clear to me that this is what, this is what I wanted to do. So, um, I, I, you know, everybody who's in theater is in it because they love it and because they, they get something out of it emotionally, internally. Um, none of us are in it to make money. None of us are in it for the hours or because it's easy. Um, we do it because we love it. And the good thing about that is everybody you work with is there because they want to be there. And? I think that's well said. I, I just, I, I look at, you, you kind of have this, this, um, well, nothing is perfect, but this perfect blend of the creative part of it, which as you talk about your upbringing, we obviously greatly appreciate that, um, that vulnerableness, but then you have the business side of you. There is the business of the art and then there is the art itself. And I like how you have that, in, at least in my sense, that perfect blend of the passion and the purpose of the art and the fulfillment of that. Hey, by the way, we also have to run a business. Is that a, is that a battle that goes on inside of you daily or minute by minute? Or is that a natural thing? Or can you even, can you even put a finger on it? I, it's, it's not unnatural for me. You know, I, I've thought about that before and, uh, I, I, I want to, I mean, as a nonprofit, our, 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 our culture is our, our goal is a little bit different. We need to make money at the end of the day. No question about it. We need to be in the black at the end of the year. We need to spend money to, to pay people what they're worth and we need to, to grow as an organization. So money is a big piece of it, but we will do I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way. We'll do a performance if it's going to break even um, because it brings people, brings 2000 people through the door and that moves right. the downtown forward. And that's part of what we are about is helping to drive the downtown forward. So it's not just the money. It's about whether we can move the whole organization and the whole city and the theater district forward. So um, I, I think, um, so I think our calculus is just a little bit different and I don't find a conflict in me because typically when we're, when we're doing the right thing for the organization, that it has a way of being the right thing for the business at the same time. I would be bad at that as a business person because yeah. my first, first Broadway I ever saw was school of rock 
and loved it. Loved the movie, but loved the production, particularly because the kids are the, the performers. They're actually performing. But also saw Hamilton. And if I was in your job, I'd be booking School of Rock every single day, knowing that there is this huge phenom out there that, to your point, is bringing thousands of people in the door. I'm like, nah, I really like School of Rock and Aladdin and Motown especially. So I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't do well in your job for that long. I can tell you that. So I appreciate I appreciate that sensibility you bring to it. Yeah. Troy, we have a couple more questions here for you. So one question we'd love to, to kind of get your, your side is what's a mantra that you live by? You know, what, what can you share if you can give advice to, to other entrepreneurs? Uh, you know, I, I think that that has evolved for me over the last year. I think I've kind of become a different manager and a different leader than I was a year ago. And maybe a lot of it's because of this situation we're in and the and our need to evolve so quickly. I mean, I think that um, right now, I think I would I would stress the importance of of honesty and candor and not just being honest with the your staff or your audience, but being honest with yourself is where it has to start. Um, and I'm not sure I would have, I'm not sure that's the answer that would have occurred to me a year ago. I'm not sure how I would have answered that question, but I just think at this point, we all, um, you know, you said it a while ago, we're all going through this together. Um, and that's a positive in a weird sort of way because the whole world has an understanding that we're going through this together. And so we can be honest without fear of being judged. You know, I'm not going to be judged because I can't bring that show here next month because nobody expects me to be able to bring the show here. And so in a way it gives us license. Um, I've diverged again and taken your question down another rabbit hole, but I, I think that it's, it's honesty and candor. Um, are more important to me now than than even they were before. And we we like rabbit holes here, though. That's where that's where you get vulnerable. <laughs> is going down the holes you didn't think you were going to step into. So we're all about the rabbit hole here. <laughs> all right. So with ten minutes left, it's always this is kind of one of my favorite parts of our our podcast. I've I've stolen um, the great Bernard uh, Pivo's questionnaire. I'm sure you're familiar with inside the actor's studio. I uh, changed oh, yes. Lipton used to, to read it off. Yeah. Well, that was one of my favorite shows and I really like the, the questionnaire. So we're going to, we always put our guests to the, the test a little bit and we'll go through it. And, and obviously we ask you to be vulnerable, which you certainly have been today. And uh, I'd, I'd love to get what your, what your answers are to Mr. Pivo's questions. So what is your favorite word? Uh, you know, I've actually done this. I've hosted uh, things and, and put people through this quiz and I'm not sure I've ever actually answered the questions myself. Um, momentum. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> momentum, I think is my favorite. I love that. What is your least favorite word? Slacks. <laughs> That's rare on the Oh, that's a good one. Anyway. Yeah, I forget about slacks. That's a good, that's a, or, yeah, you're right. Or, or Especially Dwayne. when you have to put them on. Yeah. <laughs> you do it, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, when your mom says, go put on your slacks, it just doesn't sound right. <laughs> what is your, what, what turns you on? Um, I, I really, um, 
achievement and recognition for achievement. You're not no, you're not supposed to say that you you like recognition, right? That you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to just want to do it selflessly. But I love to be to be successful and then to have to to have people see that. I love it. I, I, I get something from that. Uh, um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that, but I get something from that internally. And I really do. Um, I, I take, I get a lot of pride. Um, I'm a proud person. And I, I, uh, I think entrepreneurs are competitive, right? Joy. So yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. it's winning, you know, it's being recognized and winning. So it, it's, For it's sure. okay to say it. All sure. right. Hmm. Greed is good, What's, they said, right? And then uh, Broadway was the yeah. other people's money. Yeah, that's right. What turns you off? Um, I I can't. I can't. Um, excuses, not you know, I'm not. Uh, just a sense that uh, looking for the way out, looking for a reason to say no, really makes me angry. What sound do you love? Um, I love nature. I love sleeping with the window open. Listen to the crickets. What sound do you hate? Sirens. I hate listening to the sirens go by down Main Street. And the fire I hear sirens every day. Yeah. <laughs> now, we always, I always preface this, um, we like to get the E on our podcast for explicit so what is your favorite curse word oh you the e you get an e if if people curse on the air then they they, they award you with the e and that's a good thing I, I don't know if it's specific to actually a curse word it might be the subject matter too that you're talking about i'm not sure but we do strive to get it because like you are all about the the recognition so I'm if they have it we good. want it I'm probably going to disappoint you. I'm no good at cursing. I, uh, crap. It's the thing I say all the time. Oh, crap casserole. Uh, I, somebody needs to teach me how to swear better. <laughs> what profession other than yours would you like to attempt? I used to think I was going to go into politics. I used to, I think I'd be a good, a good legislator. Uh, I've, I've, it's only in the last five years that I've, I've actually accepted that I'm never going to be the president of the United States. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that answer. That is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what profession, um, would you not like to participate in? Uh, I would not like to be, uh, bean counter. I would not like to be uh, an accountant or uh, uh, um, I would not like to sit in a cubicle every day and do the same thing every day. Cubicles has been on the topic today. We've talked a lot about cubicles and the disdain of said cubicles. So that's actually pretty funny <laughs> and, and, and current that you said that. <laughs> Yeah. And lastly, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What took you so long? Uh, <laughs> I like that. We had a lot of people kind of over. I do too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I. Uh, that's fantastic. I, 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 yeah, I don't know if I, that's a flip answer. Uh, you know, I think I would just say. Um, 
nice job. I mean, I, I want to accomplish something, right? I, I've thought about that in the last couple of years, the more that I've ever thought about it before. But, you know, maybe a, a part of acknowledging that I'm never going to be the president of the United States is acknowledging that I'm doing what I'm doing. This is it right now. And what does it look like? What am I going to leave here when I'm gone? That it matters to you more as you get older. So Troy, you know, we, this, we want to make sure that, you know, we get a chance for you to tell us about what you're working on and you know, what's, what's, what's important for you right now and how can someone get a hold of you? Um, they can go to the HanoverTheater.org and call our box office and click and send me an email. But I, you know, I'm working on um, trying to find creative ways to reach audiences in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I, I talked about these Edgar Allan Poe one-person shows we're doing uh, right now. I'm, uh, and I also mentioned earlier that I direct our production of A Christmas Carol each year. So right now I'm looking at how we could do a small scaled back version of that show with a cast of six or seven in that small theater this year because we can't do it on the 2000 seat stage. So that's what I work on when I go home at night right now you know I, I spend all day on the phone and on zoom calls and then i go home and i work on script to try to figure out a way to tell that story with a few people in a really compelling way um, so that's what i'm working on right now that i'm kind of excited about yeah for all that are listening i mean obviously like troy's doing a well, i'd say kick-ass job and then we you know we we love what everything that handover does and how they uh, are a big part of our community so please go out and support uh, Troy and his team and in, in the arts and Hanover and looking forward to kind of seeing all these innovative ideas that you come out with Troy you know, we thank really you. enjoyed you today thank you so much for for being vulnerable with us and sharing your story this has really been enjoyable I yeah. really had a good time with this <laughs> it's been a pleasure and whether it's it's October or January or March whenever you're open I'll be in one of those seats because I love what you do, I think your facility is is just beautiful, and it's and and more so, it's a great place to see a live performance. So I'll be there whenever you're back up to 100 percent for sure. But we really Thank appreciate you. it today. That's great. Thank you. Me too. Thank you very much. So this is not so much just for our listeners; it's with our listeners. We're doing this with them, not just for them. We're all together in this big, massive, disconnected group called entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Vulnerable Entrepreneurs. Twitter and Instagram at The VE Podcast. The VE Vulnerable Entrepreneur Podcast. And join the conversation by visiting us on our website, thevepodcast.com and email us at hello at thevepodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. That wraps it up. We understand that every minute of your day is valuable, and we appreciate you spending time with us today.